Welcome back to Normies Like Us, the podcast that reminds you it's hip to be square. We continue on our journey into the wizarding world of Normie podcast and stretch out our quest to destroy the bad guy. We're going over the river and through the woods. It's the Harry Potter franchise on Normies Like Us. Platform. Ten inches. Nothing special, but I reckon it'll do. Welcome back to Normies Like Us. Podcast reminds you it's hip to be square. Ooh, as you heard up top, it's getting a little British on this episode. That's right. We're still talking wizard, witchcraft, and all in between. When we're talking part one of the seventh book, that's right, it's Deathly Hollows. Ooh. A Harry Potter franchise on Normies Like Us with your hosts. Um, I don't know. I'm like, uh, I'm like a snatcher. I'm like calling the snatcher in this one. <laughs> calling the snatcher. Um, um, this is, uh, Jaco Malfoy here again. <laughs> oh, Jaco Malfoy stepping on my toes. I'm Mike Dungus Fletcher over here and I don't know nothing about uh-huh. no cauldrons. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like this one, Mike. You, they've all been good though. And a very, very special guest. Uh, we're talking to Laura. Hi, I'm Laura Lovegood. Um, Laura hey, Lovegood, also Laura known Lovegood as in the house. my sister. Also known as Laura Ebel. That's Ooh. right. My sister, the one and only Laura. Um, good to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. First Thanks time. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So we know Jacob's a Slytherin. He was sorted into there. And we have been asking everybody. We got to know. Does it run in the family or did you get a... Where do you get sorted know. into Hogwarts? Have you done the Pottermore? What's kind of your background? I don't think I've actually ever done it. Um mm. I want to say Slytherin because I feel like that's the cool thing to say. Hell yeah! But I probably would be more of like a Ravenclaw if I had to guess. Mm. I'm a, I like studying. I like learning. So I think I would probably go into Ravenclaw. That makes sense. Like I always thought I would be kind of like a half Slytherin, half Ravenclaw. So um, I can see, I can definitely see you as a Ravenclaw. Very cool. And you know, I'm a little, I'm a little dark too, so I could be Slytherin. Who knows? Exactly. I should, I should actually try that out and see. We might be a Slytherin family. Okay, okay, we could be like another wizarding family that we explore more a little bit of the the Grimalt place in Deathly Hollows Part One. We learn more about a Slytherin family with a Gryffindor outlier, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, That's right. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, thanks yeah, for having I, me. Go ahead. I wanted to have you on because when I actually when we were doing the Chamber of Secrets episode way back six weeks Last ago year. or whatever, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> back in 2020, um, and I just remember you know when we were younger we had Chamber of Secrets on DVD and yeah. when we'd go on like family trips and stuff we would have remember the uh, portable DVD players that people I was used just to thinking use. about that today yeah we yeah. would watch it like on the way to our grandparents' house we'd watch. Harry Potter. Exactly. Like, all so, the time. I have yeah, like every always, word memorized. Right. So that's why when I was just rewatching the second movie, I was like, wow, I just remember watching this so many times when we were kids. What is it about Harry Our Potter and road trips on this podcast? Did everybody watch these on a portable DVD player but me? I feel left <laughs> out. Seems like it. <laughs> Those were like the pinnacle of technology back in the day. Those were so cool. That, that muzzle yeah, technology, man, it peaked in the 90s, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, kids these days really don't understand. Like, no smartphones. You just had. Literally a DVD player with a screen attached on top that would fold down. It was like a little Madness. laptop 
but yeah. um, you could only watch DVDs on it, basically. And that's how we had to do it, because that's all we had back then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you had those great animated menus, though, going into the great hall and select a chapter and, you know, right? yeah. classic DVD stuff that I do miss in the modern era. That's a movie memory. Let me ask you this, Laura. Uh, we've had your brother talking about how this is his third favorite book franchise when he's a <laughs> well, kid. I didn't mean it. I didn't to the mean front it of the line. Animorphs <laughs> behind Red Wall, but oh, obviously loves, of, of course, the big animorphs one. You're forgetting. <laughs> um, but were these books super big to you? Were you also in uh, Barnes and Noble lines getting ready to grab copies? Borders. It was Borders. Oh, oh, yes, Borders. <laughs> I'm sorry. Which I don't even know if Borders exists anymore, but yes. Um, Certainly Our mom that. actually read them to us. Um, every time a new one came out, she would read us um, like a chapter or two every night. Um, I remember on one of the books, we were on a train going to New York City for a family trip. And the train trip was so long. And she just read us the Harry Potter book. Um, yeah. Wholesome family so, stuff. Yeah. Definitely have wow. really good memories of that. Harry Potter Getting on read a train, train book. On a train, <laughs> yeah, Mike. Perfect. That is very so magical, cool. Yeah. We had some chocolate frogs and some birdie bots beans, right? <laughs> Hopefully you didn't encounter the... That would be fun. What, is it the snack witch from the, the Cursed Child? Or yeah. <laughs> we don't talk about that, snack, though. Oh, I haven't seen that one, yeah. Oh, no, no, or the screenplay. Well, uh, we'll move um, on from that. <laughs> yeah, so I just thought when we were doing Chamber of Secrets, it just made me you know, think of when we used to watch those, and I could quote every line in that movie, too. Um, and so, yeah, you read you read all those books as kids, too. Like, I, I remember, like, some of the some of the later ones we, you know, I would go to, um, you know, the midnight releases and we'd get them at, you know, at midnight and everything. And just, just, just reading it until I was like basically in one sitting until I was done. Yeah. Yeah, and, absolutely. It was like the, the Netflix of the day where you're like one more episode and then I'll go to bed and you just keep watching. That was how it was with, with Harry Potter books. One more chapter, right. one more chapter. I like that binge exactly. reading, binge reading. So do you have a favorite, uh, you have a favorite book or in a favorite film, uh, by chance? Um, well, I'd have to say for like nostalgia's sake, the second movie definitely would be my favorite just because I know it so well. Um, I always really liked the Prisoner of Azkaban book, um, because we met Sirius Black, um, Mm -hmm. and I thought he was a a really important character in the whole world of Harry Potter. So so. would you say Sirius Black is your favorite character or who would you say? He's definitely one of my favorite characters. That's crazy because he's my favorite character too. Oh my gosh, we're so alike. Are you guys related? It's like we've met before. <laughs> Occasionally. Um, yeah, I, you know, Sirius is great. Do you have any other favorite characters or maybe favorite moments or anything like that from the books? I really like Luna Lovegood. I like her positivity and her free spirit to just be herself and she doesn't care what anybody thinks. That's kind of what I aspire to be like. So I, I enjoy that. And then, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get too into the movie already, but, um, you know, Dobby was one of my favorites mm-hmm. and that was oh. kind of a, something that hit me with, with this movie. Um, yeah. So. Very sad scene. For yeah. Sure. Um, and Hedwig. And, well, yeah. if, if it's serious and Dobby are on your top list, it's going to be sad reads for you or sad watching experience <laughs> yeah. for you out there for the I listeners know. as well. Um, so did you, you watch the movie for this or did you do a reread? How did you kind of prepare for coming on the episode the show? Um, I just watched the movie. Um, I think I have the book somewhere. Maybe they're back at our, our childhood home. So I haven't read them in a long time. So I just watched the movie. Gotcha. gotcha. Did you ever reread them after, you know, the first time? Oh, yeah. Have you ever gone back oh, yeah. and reread them all? I've you read them also, a few times. Yeah. You can also get them on audiobook and, and reread them that way just by having them read to you, basically. 
Which is basically what I did. Not a... Yeah. I, I didn't read anything past Goblet of Fire back when I was younger. You know, I did grow up, you know, with these books, but I kind of stopped after Goblet. So doing these podcasts, I've been listening to all of them in audio form. So this is actually my first time going through the Deathly Hollows, and I probably had only seen the, the movies once each. So it's been an interesting kind of revisit for me as well. Right, which is interesting because when we basically when we started this series of podcasts, I was kind of the lore expert because I just knew more about the books and stuff. Now I would say Mike is the lore expert, especially with <laughs> Deathly Hollows, because I really um, don't well, remember the Ravenclaw really man much at books. all about the books. Yeah, I'm a yeah, Ravenclaw. Dude, Mike's, Mike's hitting us with the well actuallys. Uh, <laughs> Mike all about the and the hollows and all that stuff. Did you That's read right. the whole one for this one, or did you just do like a first part? Like, did you just read up to the movies? I couldn't stop where the movie broke. Like the movie breaks at um, Malfoy Manor and I just had to keep going and I finished it. Right. And interestingly, this will be my last anecdote. I started this in, I think Goblet of Fire was when I re-listened to first and it was a huge backlog on the guy's YouTube sidecar stories. And by the time I finished The Deathly Hollows, he had published it five hours before I listened to it. So I was almost able to catch the finale live and I was... was, uh, so close, but uh, it was a great time listening to Sidecar Stories version. So shout out to that. That's but, awesome. Yeah, it's been a good journey for me. Yeah, because I can barely remember like anything from the book Deathly Hollows. I kind of have to rewatch. Like that's probably the least, the one I remember least about, even though it's the most is the last chronologically that was written. Um, just because I don't know, I just need to rewatch, reread that one. But there's so mm-hmm. much of the. So much of this movie can seem very confusing if you don't understand some of the context going into it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Jacob, how is our little book clip going? How, how are you doing in your reread of the Potter series, Jacob? Um, well, I'm not really. I, I, I was listening to the uh, Goblet of Fire audiobook because I did have, I have, you know, Audible. And so I have some of them on Audible. I have like four through seven. But I haven't, I haven't really gone through them all, but I did re listened to them like maybe a year and a half ago, like four, three through seven, I think. So I am a little caught up, but for some reason, a lot of the detail about Deathly Hollows, I just forget. Well, I'm ready to, um, actually as much as possible. Laura, I'm sure has knowledge as well. And, um, uh, I do want to ask you guys, um, we learn in this movie what the Deathly Hollows are. So I want to quickly run through that concept just really quickly. We're talking, uh, the Invisibility Cloak, the Resurrection Stone, and the Elder Wand, those are the Deathly Hollows. So before we jump into the movie... Oh, hold on, week, Mike. You don't want to do a creepy little puppet show while you're explaining this to <laughs> well, us? Maybe, yeah. I got some shadow work over here. But um, I, I, my question is, <laughs> and I want to start with our guests here, which of the Deadly Hollows would you choose if you could only have one? Uh, uh, definitely in the Invisibility Cloak. Um, every time anybody asks me what kind of superpower I would have, I feel like everybody chooses flight, but I always say invisibility because I want to be able to be in a room and hear what people are saying about me. That's like my <laughs> deepest desire. So Interesting. that would be what I would want. Okay. Okay. Well, Jacob, how about you? If you had to choose one of the Deathly Hollows, keep it in the family. Well, here. first of all, I think it's a little strange that one of these mythical artifacts is something that Harry has happened to have this whole time that was left down from his dad. Like That's a J.K. Rowling writing this? signature move, dog. Come on. Yeah, it's like, yeah, making something that didn't seem important, more important later on. But it's like, first of all, where did his dad, like his dad passed it on to him, right? Where did his dad get the invisibility cloak? And second of all, is it really that hard for wizards to make an invisibility cloak? Because they have enchantments mm. and stuff that make you invisible. So why couldn't they? I feel like an invisibility cloak wouldn't be that rare of a thing in the wizarding world. But 
that's just me. But for your question, I would probably want the elder wand because, you know, it's just, it would be cool to have the most powerful wand. I most think. powerful wand. All right. Yeah. Colin, how about you? Which of the Deathly Hallows? Uh, Jacob, there's that moment later in the movie where um, the uh, Ron goes, hey, I took this off, uh, you know, a grabber. You know, here's just a generic wand. And a he grabber. does like a spell and it makes it like a super flame all of a sudden. In my mind, I was like, well, that's kind of what the Elder Wand does. It's like the super wand. But it seems like that was a turbo wand, too. So I don't know. Was, right. I, I, well, again, I, with the Elder Wand, it doesn't make sense because it's like, why do you need a power? Like any wand, you can do Avada Kedavra and kill someone instantly. Right. So how much more <laughs> yeah, powerful? That's a very good point. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's yeah. as so, lethal no matter what. I, I would use right. the Rejuvenation Stone, I guess, just because that out of the other two seems like the most like, well, nobody else can do this. Right. And does that even ever come up in the story? I guess not. Right. The Resurrection Stone not really doesn't really factor into the overall story of harry potter no no and at first hearing about it in the book i thought it was going to be the philosopher's stone like somehow that was too. one of them as well they didn't end up doing it but um yeah. they do explain that the invisibility cloak that harry has is like extra good and there are like commercial ones but like they wear oh, out over time and the magic doesn't last come on yeah. <laughs> that being said i would <laughs> take make Harry's it sound better than all the others <laughs> they certainly yeah. do and i would take that one i'm with you uh laura i would take the invisibility cloak um wow for sure <laughs> It's the only one in the story. He's the one who defeats death, quote unquote, is, is the brother right. who gets the cloak. Well, it's so. a good parable, yeah. Um, but thank you, Mike, lore expert, for giving us some explanation <laughs> about the invisible. Well, just it while we're talking about don't you um, get, I mean, isn't it just kind of interesting? We said she is the master of the retcon to make mm-hmm. something old into new. The fact that she introduces two things we don't know about out of the three Deathly Hollows and that she's like, in the last book of this thing, hey, by the way, these exist. They're the ultimate MacGuffin that people right. have kind of been searching for this whole time, but not really. Is that kind of a cop-out? Do you guys like that it's just introduced in this last movie? Or last book, I should say? Well, I yeah, we can get into it. But I think, first of all, there's just a lot of... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of like explanation in this book of like the Horcruxes, the Deathly Hollows everything with Dumbledore's past and Grindelwald and like all this stuff that's just kind of dumped into this book. Um, it's a little much, like it might've been better, more spaced out through the earlier books to me. Um, but I do like that it gets into more of Dumbledore's past, which we never really see until now. And like I, the book goes into it even more, but his relationship with Grindelwald and the stuff that we'll see later in the Fantastic Beasts movie. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that everything kind of gets tied up. I think it's it's cool that you're kind of on this journey and then all of a sudden everything makes sense after all this time. You're like, I don't know what all these how all these things are tied together and then all of a sudden it makes sense. I think that's really cool and really makes you Totally. I don't know, understand it all. Yeah, there is something about the way that more or less she's able to kind of bring things from the past into the final book and wrap it up and it does make them feel like like a complete set of movies, even though I, you know, splitting this one in half is a questionable decision on my part, but it's like, they do feel like so connected because you slowly learn about the Horcruxes in like the fourth or fifth movie and like it just keeps building, it slowly builds and it does start to pay off here. We get the beginning of the end. So um, she does do a good job of retconning. It's her signature move, but it, it kind of works. And every book has its own mystery of new stuff that's introduced. And in this, it's the Deathly Hollows and every book has kind of had something new right. thrown in. 
Here's the last thing I will say about it then. Don't you feel like the end of that puppet tale where she talks about a person tricking death and magical items through one-of-a-kind things that he should have also quickly mumbled, and there's a thing called a time-turner that controls time, don't worry about that, and just, like, <laughs> run away. Like, it's like, it, it, that feels like, it feels like, to me, there could be a story after this one where she goes, oh, and you thought the three Deathly Hollows were good. Did I tell you about the two right. flibbity flam flams? And, you know, it turns <laughs> well, out to be... Harry's broom from the first one and, you know, some other thing. And you just go, all right, yeah, I guess so. That's exactly right, Colin, because it's like, yeah, there can you can always introduce more powerful magical artifacts that we've never mentioned before. Because it's like, that's the thing with the Deathly Hollows. Like, it's a cool idea, but if these are such, like, mythical things to the wizarding world, why has, like, Harry and Ron and Hermione never heard of them before? Um, and even Ron... Knew the, knew the story, the fable, right, from his mom telling it to him when he was a kid. It Why did he bland. not know what the Deathly Hollows are? But yeah, I mean, you could, you know, time turners, like, I do know with the time turners, like, there's illegal time turners that you're, that's, it's, you're not allowed to use. Like, only the legal ones have, like, a five-hour limit, so you can only go five hours back in the past. So that's how they kind of explain away, that's because otherwise, <laughs> well, because you're getting into time crimes and stuff like that, and that's a whole thing you don't want to go down, right? Mm-hmm. The time crimes in Grindelwald. Hey, what <laughs> part of the or department are you in? Oh, I handle time crimes. <laughs> that's yeah, a well, that's department. a thing on like Star Trek. There's there's um, Star Trek episodes where they have like the time crimes division because you know you can go back in the past and like or to alternate dimensions wow. and change stuff. Yeah, I, temporal I, displacement. Then we're getting in the Umbrella division. Academy, and that's a whole other can of worms <laughs> <laughs> with the university of. Powered children. All right, you guys are right. So let's let's go. We're not going to school this year. Let's go ahead and start on our quest. Let's go find these horror cruxes and bring this podcast to an end. It's let's go wrap camp it in up. the woods. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we're back. I'm kind of tired of wearing this locket, but whatever. And I'm in a real bad mood, but uh, we're here. We're talking Deathly Hollows Part 1. Again, we're on our journey here. Ooh, right along with our teenage friends to destroy Horcrux. We're talking movies. We're talking books. But uh, a fact I just want to point out real quick. Ten years later, guys. So this is an 11-year-old Daniel Radcliffe in Sorcerer's Stone. This is a 21-year-old Daniel Radcliffe and kids sort of finishing up this film series like Lara do you love just kind of like did you love watching them grow and kind of like growing up beside them yeah I mean I think it's always a cool thing um with something like this or a long-running show or something where you kind of you feel like you start with them as a kid and you grow with them and you feel like you're part of that world I think that's the whole point of of a fantasy world like that is you kind of you want to be in it right and we're totally. talking about like a lot of people our age and like you're a little younger than me, but you're around the same age. So growing up with the kids, like in the books, like the books were kind of coming out while we were the same age every time the new books came out, right? Yeah. And these are basically, you know, they started as children's books and transitioned into, you know, YA novels by the end as the core audience was growing up with, with the characters. So right. it's cool to see that reflected in the films as well as they get progressively darker, as we've discussed every since Azkaban on, you know, it's kind of been a downward trend in the, the tone, a lot of more doom yes. and gloom. And this one is maybe the darkest of them all, right? I mean, we're getting major 
deaths. We're getting all kinds of depressing. I mean, it's basically like, you know, Voldemort. It's like the it's you know it's like Nazi occupied France right now. Like the ministry is completely taken over by the Death Eaters and everything. Um, but Laura, what? It, let's get your overall impression of this movie and this book, maybe. And uh, you know, did you like it? Did you not like it? What do you think? Um, yeah, this uh, unfortunately is is not my favorite of the Harry Potter movies. Um, I no. found it kind of boring. Um, <laughs> That's I fair. kind of felt like we were just following some moody teenagers around the woods for two and a half hours, and it was uh, difficult to stay awake and, and focus on it. I mean, I know it's important because it explains a lot of things and kind of ties up loose ends or opens up some some storylines to go into the final movie, but it's just uh, a little too much talking for me. I need more to happen. I like that Jacob's talking about uh, Nazi-occupied France, Laura, when there is just a dance sequence in a tent in the middle of this movie that ends with a teenage breakup. <laughs> You're like, yeah, yeah well, okay, okay yeah, well, sure. <laughs> let me drop my hot take in then, because I'm starting to think that my opinion of this movie might be a little bit of a hot take. Because I actually really love this movie, and to me, this might be my second favorite after Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, and the reason is, like, yeah, I can see why people might think it's boring. But for me, I kind of like that this one totally switches up the formula of these. Like, they're not going to Hogwarts. They're just, I mean, it basically is a movie where it's about these three teens just camping out in different, like, scenic locations, right? But um, I liked it because it's like, I don't know. It's just, it's very slow moving, but it's just a very much more focused on these three characters, their emotions. And I love the idea of the locket, like causing tension in between them because someone has to wear it at all times. And, um, I just, I just really like this movie. All right. Now it's time. It's rebuttal time, Jacob. (laughs) Go for it. I can see how this is going already. No, no. This is my least favorite Harry Potter movie that we've watched so far. Wow. Mike. But I love the book because it does kind of set up some mysteries and explain certain things like Dumbledore's backstory, but you get a lot more of that in the book. It's a lot more clearly told in the book. So while right. while I'm being very bored camping, I'm learning a lot of interesting things in the book, whereas in the movie, it's just like, y'all just camping. The You don't really need to wear the locket. You could just put it in the tent or in your pocket. No, but they need to wear it because... How dare you, Mr. Frodo? They need it on their body at all times because someone might try <laughs> to steal it. You can put it in your it. sweater they... pocket. It doesn't need to be around your no, neck. No, they need to wear it. Yeah. They need to you wear it. Remember when Frodo got stabbed by that shard and it caused him pain whenever, you know, kind of like Harry's scar. <laughs> anyway. <That's>, um, yeah. <laughs> you do get the, uh, I'm going on by myself. Of course you are, Mr. Frodo. I'm coming with you. You know, Ron and Hermione <laughs> sticking with him. But uh, the camping totally. isn't really it for me. But I do enjoy some of the major set pieces like the Ministry of Magic um, yes. and the Malfoy Manor, although Malfoy Manor is a lot better in the book, in my opinion. Yes. Well, I totally get where you guys are coming from. And I can see how this would be boring and stuff. And I do think it suffers from the same problem that basically all of them from three on have, which is they have to cut out a lot of backstory and context from the books to make it a movie, right? Because otherwise it'd be like five hours long. So again, this does have the same problem where it's like, some things are really confusing. R.A.B., when they go back to Grimald Place, like that's not explained very well. Um, But it's, you know, it's just like five and six and four all had the same problems. So that doesn't bother me too much. And overall, I really like this. uh, I really like the slow meditative pace of this one. Well, it certainly feels like if, if you have three actors 
in a tent for most of your movie. You can save your budget for all of the green and red lasers you're going to put into the next movie. Um, <laughs> yes, which is smart you, from a budgetary standpoint. But Colin, we didn't get your, your initial thoughts yeah, before we, we go in on this thing. <laughs> Whose side are you um, on, Colin? Pick a side. I'm, I'm kind of on Jacob's side. <laughs> I, I don't know, Mike. This is. Oh. I, I used to think this was a boring movie. I'll also say, I gave up my secret last episode that I never finished the seventh book. I skipped to the end and read the duel and then read the crazy <laughs> epilogue that we'll be talking about next episode mm-hmm. that I'm very excited to <laughs> dig into. Um, but I, I, I started the audiobooks for this one. So I'm using the Stephen Fry version. And I got up to the part where they get the sword of Gryffindor mm-hmm. uh, out of the ice. Another thing say, that's not explained well at all. No, <laughs> but the book, Mike, is thrilling. Yeah. It's absolutely thrilling. It's very cool paced. We get more Dobby erasure, unfortunately, in the movie uh, before a cool scene at the end. But uh, the movie still kind of works for me. Laura, let me ask you this. Do you like our three leads? Because as Mike kind of said, this is the trio movie. Like, this is the movie with the three the most. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody, I don't know. I mean, I guess I can't speak for everybody, but I think, you know, they're they're always kind of the, the three musketeers together, and you kind of always are rooting for them to succeed in the end. I hope most people are anyway. So, yeah, I appreciate seeing them. Uh, bond and get closer together minus a couple stumbles and i think they're doing some some good acting in this movie especially compared to you know the level they were at when they were kids i mean obviously as you get older you get you know more refined in your acting abilities right but i think they're all doing a pretty good job here and they have a lot of emotional you know interpersonal stuff that they do in this one which might not be the most interesting if you want like you know wizard duels and stuff but I, I think they all did a pretty good job in this one acting wise. Yeah, I think they, they've done good. And I think, I mean, at its core, I mean, because my, my least favorite thing about Harry Potter is the amount of Deus Ex Machina in every single iteration, right? But the best thing it does is tell the story of this group of friends and kind of their falling outs and coming back together and the, the showing the difficulties that real groups of friends would go through as they grow up and they're starting to get crushes on each other, this and that, you know, they fall out, get back together. So showing that I think is one of the best strengths is just the core friendship of the main characters. Totally. And, and with Harry, I mean, this kind of start, this whole series starts out as like a wish fulfillment. Like he's the chosen one. All of a sudden he's, you know, he's this little kid that, you know, he's a nobody living under the stairs. Then all of a sudden he's a wizard he's and he's rich. going to magic school. Yeah, he's rich. He's <laughs> super popular in the wizarding world. Suddenly the our Kingsley says, you're more important than the prime minister. And you're like, what? Right, right. <laughs> so, but it's, it, but it takes the classic like chosen one story and then it shows actually Harry's kind of miserable in a lot of these movies because, you know, everyone close to him is dying. Like things kind of suck. Like, so it's not like totally wish fulfillment because it's kind of showing that like being the chosen one is actually a huge like sacrifice. You don't get to live a normal life. He's now he's just constantly on the run. So I like that angle of it as well. It's a story about repetitive loss. Like you keep pointing this out, Jacob, and this one really furthers it even further, uh, even to the loss of friendship and bonds. Like when Ron goes away, and I kind of think Daniel Radcliffe kills those moments where it's kind of like, take me to Hodrick's or Godric's Hollow where my parents, you know, lived and where I was born. And you can almost feel Hermione being like, because you want to die there? Like, are you going to kill yourself? Like, things are very dark right now. 
Um, and then we get a scene while we're there that I'll just bring up right now that in the notes, Jacob listed as his weirdest. I laughed out loud for 10 <laughs> minutes the way that you set it up with well, yeah. the snake. So I just, I love it. It's important to remember Nagini the snake, right? Everyone's favorite character. <laughs> if you've seen Fantastic Beasts, then you know that actually Nagini is a woman that can turn into a snake. So in this movie, she it's Bathilda Bagshot. So it's a woman oh, disguised as a snake disguised as another woman. Right? Yes. <laughs> yes. That's, that's right. A Very woman. confusing. It's a and great I didn't performance. You could feel it in that old woman's performance. <laughs> yeah, I can really yeah. feel oh, that was the, the worst. Yeah, the Nagini <laughs> from Fantastic Beasts. You feel her energy slightly in the back yeah, shot uh, performance. Of, right. Yeah. It's just important to remember anytime that snake is on screen, just remember that's actually this woman that was alive in Grindelwald's time in like the 1920s. I and don't also like was it. chilling I in a zoo like in it. book number one. Yeah. Was that was that Nagini? I thought that was just a different. I thought snake, that was Nagini. But... I think that was just a random. Snake. <laughs> okay, I stand corrected. Because oh, um, right? he, he could talk to any snake. Oh yeah, so yeah. It was just a, yes. a random one. That's how we started finding out he was different. Right, but we do get some, time. especially in the second part of this, which I won't dive into. There's some interesting Nagini stuff that will tie back to the Grindelwald. Hey, that's She's right, actually Mike. a person <laughs> that I right. want to talk about next week as well. well. I feel like J.K. Rowling definitely didn't have that figured out at this point because. There's even a scene where Voldemort goes to visit old Grindelwald, right? And then it's like, wait, what? Nagini used to be with Grindelwald or whatever. And now she's with Voldemort mm-hmm. and she's like 100 That's years old. That's how they old. know each other. <laughs> well, you <laughs> know, at a party. We've sung her praises as the queen of the retcon, but you live by the sword and you die by the sword, right? <laughs> sometimes yeah, right. Good, well, just, sometimes yeah. it's bad. Just, yeah, just thinking about how this entire world came out of this one little kid's book, The Sorcerer's Stone, where she didn't have a lot of this planned out. So I think she did do as good of a job as anyone could have done expanding that into a huge world. It's not always going to make sense, right? Um, mm-hmm. But the the Godric's Hollow stuff, just speaking of that, I was very confused. Like, I guess, I think it is explained better in the books, but Bethilda Bagshot was killed by Nagini, and then it takes over her form and then like lures Harry and Hermione into this house to attack them or something. But I was very confused by all of that. Maybe Mike, the book expert, you can I mean, shed some light on that. The, the Godric's Hollow fully, like I, I don't remember verbatim, but I mean, essentially they're sending Nagini to try to catch them or whatever. And even in the movie, she does catch them, but can't you just send a regular Death Eater to can evade a cadaver <laughs> right. them immediately? Right. Oh, I got partnered with the snake. Why is it the snake? Yeah, like just get someone. Who well, the has whole a thing wand. is that that Voldemort's been saying for several movies, like nobody can kill Harry except for me. Like, just okay, bring him to me alive. Well, so do why the, are they... the spell that froze uh, um, Longbottom in like the first movie? You know, yeah, they could easily stupefy him or whatever, yeah. and then bring him to Harry. But or no, we're gonna have the snake. Totalis. Right. Yes, Ooh. yes, exactly. Exactly. But Dumbledore, um, or not Dumbledore, Voldemort is terrible at planning. Yeah, but, oh, and another thing, speaking of that, is Voldemort took so long to figure out that the Elder Wand is buried with Dumbledore. Like, you think that such a genius, powerful wizard would have been able to figure that out without, like... He had like, to go ask. Yeah, he had to ask, he had to kidnap Ollivander and then go see this other wand maker, Grigorovich, and then go see old Grindelwald in prison or whatever. And it's like, you could have just kind of maybe figure that out yourself that one of the most powerful wizards might have the elder wand. I mean, yeah, initially he's just trying to get another wand. You know, he takes um, Lucius Malfoy's wand. Lucius Cause Malfoy. he's like, Oh, I, I can't kill Harry unless I have somebody else's wand. But even the Gregorovich thing in the book, 
um, Victor Crumb comes to the wedding, and then he's like, oh, yeah, my wand is made by Gregorovich. He's so much better than Ollivander. And then that's how, like, we learn who, you know, why Voldemort's right. searching for Gregorovich. That's really not explained in the movie at all either, that he's no, just, like, just another like... Eastern European wand maker who's pretty good. Yeah. And the book does go way more into Dumbledore's past, which is really interesting with his brother and his whole backstory about his family and then Dumbledore's relationship with Grindelwald. A lot of that is like very just not there in the movie. And they kind of mention certain things like in the beginning, they talk about his past, but it's not really gone into as is in depth, like in the books. Right. I mean, yeah. Laura, do you remember any of this? Like kind of goes into the shades of gray about Dumbledore in the books more. Yeah. They talk, I know they talk about his, um, his little sister and, and his father and everything. And, um, I think it ties a lot back to how, how Dumbledore grew up and who he is when Harry only sees him as this, great hero but it turns out he's he's more of a flawed human than we really think he is yeah i I remember a passage in the book that says harry always kind of imagined dumbledore coming into existence fully formed as an old wise wizard Mm -hmm. he never imagined his youth and he's even like yeah on board with grindelwald thinking wizards are the superior race and they should take over humanity for like a little bit for the greater good like dumbledore was into that and uh the whole tragedy with his sister and you don't get any of that we might get in the next movie because I haven't seen it in a long time. So that is something that's lost from this is Harry having doubts about this hero figure and doubting like, why would he send me on this quest without any clues? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. My friends are mad at me. This is, this is really difficult. And you get a lot more of that struggle in the book by introducing doubt to the character of Dumbledore. Totally. And I really like that in the books too, because Harry's perspective is kind of like our perspective as the audience. Because when we first meet Dumbledore in Sorcerer's Stone, he is just like this old wise wizard who seems like he's perfect and like can do no wrong. But then over time you see, yeah, he is flawed just like everyone else. And he has, he made mistakes. He made mistakes with the way he, you know, kind of raised Harry in school, kind of kept him at arm's length to protect Harry or protect himself when he really should have been telling more to Harry and explaining more. Yeah, so it adds credence to when they don't have a plan and they're getting frustrated and even the fracturing the friendship, like, as opposed to we're just wandering around in the woods. What do we do now? Wait for day ex machina, <laughs> like the way it feels in the movie, because they, right. it is rushed, even though they split it into two. Like, you get a lot more of that sense of hopelessness. Yeah, Snape and, will give me a Patronus. Yeah. Um, I'll pick up a sword that my my friend will remind me takes in only that which makes it stronger. You know, we, we get a lot of this good do-sex uh, mm-hmm. in this one, Mike. Yeah, but I, again, I also like this angle of the movie where it's kind of like Harry and Ron and Hermione. They're just kind of bumbling around. They don't have a plan. They have a general idea that they need to get all the Horcruxes and destroy them. But they only have, one, the locket. They have no idea how to destroy it at first. They're just kind of bumbling around with no plan, trying to figure things out. And I kind of Even like when that. it's, let's see Luna's dad, okay, why? Hermione's like, ah, because it's kind the of symbol. loosely connected to, yeah, yeah, like a thing I think we're looking for. And you're like, right. okay, yeah, they do it and it works out. <laughs> well, sort of, yeah. It kind of does. It kind of backfires on them, though, because, um, you know, they're he taken tries captive. To keep them. Yeah. yeah. But um, to rewind, let's rewind and go back to the beginning of this movie. Um, right time off the turn. bat, <laughs> do the time turner. Um, I like the tone that this movie sets right off the bat where it's 
you get this close up of oh it's Rufus Scrimger right which I always thought yes. was pronounced Scrimgower but I guess it's Scrimger um Bill Nye. Again, I'm, well, that's, Bill you know, Nye. that goes back to our mom reading us the books. And exactly, <laughs> yeah. That's so, so true. Right, because when you're reading the words, you don't know the you know, pronunciation sometimes. So, yeah. totally. Um, but, so, we get this shot of him. He's like, the ministry is safe and all this. And again, I mentioned it, I think, in last week. This, to me, is like a deliberate um, reference to uh, World War II England. You had Neville Chamberlain, the, PM, the prime minister, before... Um, uh, Winston Churchill, sorry, mm-hmm. my mind blank. So, so you had Neville Chamberlain, who was um, not dealing with Nazi Germany in a way that a lot of England thought was good. Like he was kind of um, being too weak to to Nazi Germany. Then Winston Churchill comes in and takes over, and he's like the strong, you know, the strong fist against the Nazis. That's kind of what Rufus Scrimger represents, coming in after Cornelius Fudge and being like, you know, the Ministry is strong. We will fight this, you know, evil and stuff. And then we get that great Death Eater scene where we're introduced to Pius, who is the <laughs> political side of Voldemort. And it's exactly what you're saying, Jacob. It's like, again, kind of kind of close to today, too, where it's like, you'll just be a figurehead. You know, we'll be very evil in the background, though. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's the puppet prime minister for Voldemort. Right. Which, the ministry. In the book, he's under the imperious curse. He's not like in on mm. it. You know, he's just literally oh. being puppeted, which they really need more defenses against oh, Imperius Curse. I, I forgot they even, yeah, they don't even explain that at all. Yeah. Yeah. And so they go they, into a lot of more, you know, the different names of the Death, death Eaters. Here we get Yaxley, uh, which is uh, interesting. That actor, by the way, you know, Yaxley, the, the, the gray haired guy with like the ponytail. You might recognize him if you've seen Ozark. He played Jacob Snell in Ozark. So, oh, as you yeah. say, Westworld as well, Mike. Oh, uh, Westworld, yeah. That's yeah. right. No, we love ourselves. Seeing him with a didn't realize he was British. He's, he's I was doing like, like, oh like my Ozark God. accent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's fun. But um, yeah, so we have this whole puppet ministry. But I, I like the idea of Rufus Scrimger coming in as like the strong prime minister, and then having one scene with the three main characters where he gives them Dumbledore's effects, and then five minutes later, it's immediately like, oh, the ministry has fallen. Uh, Rufus Scrimger <laughs> is dead. Yeah, <laughs> like, we just saw him. <laughs> and, no, he just said everything's okay. <laughs> and then the Half Blood Prince, he does a lot more in the book, and he's not even in that movie. So it's like, right. hey, Bill Nye, you want to be a main? Yeah, character you want to be in two, two scenes. scenes. <laughs> yeah, so that's like a I, really little red would. herring. It, but it's really yeah. cool that he comes in and steps in, and then we get, I would say, one of the all-time scenes of the series: the Polyjuice Chase Escape. Now, Laura, did you love this? Yes. The ministry is... heist. Is that what you're talking about? No, no, no. Oh, no. no I'm the talking about the, the four. Yeah. Oh, yes. That was really house. Yeah. Yeah, Laura, that was, we get a lot of that was really cool. I think that was one of the, the really cool scenes that they were saving up their budget for by just having them camp out in the woods so that they could mm-hmm. morph everybody into to Harry. That was um, definitely one of the better scenes. I think life. you're right. Let's cut down on Dobby, too. We don't need those <laughs> special effects. Yeah. Let's do a ton of Harry's and let's unfortunately kill off fan favorite character, a sweet, beautiful owl. <laughs> right. Hedwig. And, Do you remember um, how that um, on Hedwig? Remember how that went down in the book, Laura, or just the movie? Yeah, I mean, I think it was pretty similar to the movie. She was she was defending Harry and flying at the wizard that was trying to kill him, and then she got caught in the crossfire. 
allow me to push my glasses up a little bit further. <laughs> um, she's stuck oh, no. in the cage the whole time, which what oh. the, the point is, is this is actually one of the few times I think a change to the movie is better than the book because Hedwig is like actually trying to help Harry in the movie, whereas in the book, she's just like a tragic you know, catches wow, a random she just dies spell. In her cage. It's a human dies shield. Harry knew what he was I doing. I don't remember that part. <laughs> and it's like an accident. Yeah, it's like yeah. You know, oh, no. a rogue spell. So, so the movie does give Hedwig a, a better send off, I think. And I just wanted to say, yeah. you know, it's, it's very sad. Exactly. Yeah, it makes her a hero. I did think it's a little strange. Like, obviously, Harry's had a lot of people and things close to him die, so he's sort of used to it now. But he doesn't have that emotional of a reaction to Hedwig dying. Like, he doesn't seem that set. Like, I know, like. You know, there's a lot going on, but it's like your your like lifelong pet just died. You think you would have more? It would be like if your dog. I mean, it's tragic. Yeah, yeah. She's been with him through everything from Mm -hmm. the beginning of his wizarding journey, and you'd think he'd it'd be like losing a family member. Yeah, Um, but yeah, I do think that scene with all the different Harrys is very cool. There's a lot of effect stuff with Polyjuice. Well, we should say we're all look like Jacob right now. We we all took (laughs) a Jacob Polyjuice question. We We just have have our voices. Hair. I don't um, know if I would if I had to choose anybody I don't know if I'd look like him <laughs> that's fair that's very fair incendio bro that's a burn <laughs> um, so I have a question then about the, the whole battle of Harry's escape obviously they are cloning um, Harry to throw off the Death Eaters who are going to be pursuing him they're trying to move him to a safe house um, as is the trend with the Yates movies we're just doing magic in front of muggles Laura thoughts <laughs> Them flying through traffic, trying to escape. Yeah, yeah, that probably would have made some headlines, and I don't well, know it's, that it's, it's really. It's desperate about. times, right? So it's like, you know, they got to do what they got to do. Some models might see it, but it's desperate yeah. times. They're on the run. And you do, you do have to wonder with things like with that. It's it is kind of like a world war, right? So muggles have to notice that something weird is going on, whether they know what magic is or not, like. Yeah, and in the books, you know, we even get the whole scene with, um, in the very beginning of the book, right, we have Cornelius Fudge kind of coming in to the prime, the real prime minister of England, meeting him with him over over time, right, and kind of, it's showing flashbacks. Phoenix. Yeah, we have that. Oh, that was Order of the Phoenix. And yeah, then yeah, but they the, do establish that. Right. This one is him that. telling his parents, the Dursleys, like, it's real. Right. But I just remember that scene where you know, Fudge talking to the prime minister. And then the last one is like Scrimger comes in. He's like, Oh, Fudge has been replaced. I'm in charge now. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess that's the different book I'm thinking of. Um, but there is an established communication between the leadership of the muggle and the wizarding world. Yeah. Essentially. So they find some way to cover it up. To there was a cover up. One thing I'm gas flew over England today. Yeah. <laughs> and like they destroy that bridge and everything. One yeah. thing I was confused about too, which I do think this whole chase scene is very cool. But why did they, like, I'm sort of confused why they even needed to do it when Harry could have just, like, apparated to, you know, wherever. Like, they kind of apparate all throughout this movie, too. So it's like, why didn't he just apparate? Why did they just need this whole chase scene just to move him from one location to another? They say in the book, you can't apparate and you can't use the port key. It's too dangerous, you know, with how we've set it up for some reason. But I, I like but, then he, but then they apparate all over the place in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, but right. they, they can't. They allegedly it's because he has the trace on him. Which, oh, he has the trace because they're at the ministry because Voldemort took over the ministry. They can track him through the trace if he uses like apparition or a port key. So until okay. he turns seventeen, they they couldn't. It, it's you know right. It's a, it's a well, speaking of his his birthday. I I like that. 
there's that scene where Hermione's like, oh, we forgot that it's your birthday. Like, we didn't Happy celebrate. birthday. And Harry's like, oh, we got, you know, more important stuff to do. But I like that Harry's birthday is in the summer. So every book is kind of bookended by him starting in the summer, celebrating his birthday in different ways. Usually the Dursleys ignoring him and stuff. So I like that it kind of bookends the whole series. Oh, of like Jacob, him. we get a Christmas scene in this one. Looking at a grave. Merry Christmas, Jacob. <laughs> Just like, like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is a Christmas movie, and that's what I watched it over the Christmas break. It was perfect. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, which is weird because these these two movies came out in the summer. Like they kind of transitioned mm. from being Christmas movies to being summer blockbusters in the you know as they were coming out. Um, but another thing that's cool about this movie, it's kind of like an all star. You know, every character that you wanted to see come back for like a little cameo is like back in this one, right? Hits. We get Umbridge back. We get all these good wizards in the beginning with uh, Mad-Eye and all these different... Oh, and by the way, yeah, Mad-Eye, Moody, right? And then we get Bill Weasley, played by our guy, Domhnall, Domhnall Gleeson. I told you he's in it. Talk about ex machina, dude. (laughs) Right, so Domhnall Gleeson, who's the son of Brendan Gleeson, who plays Mad-Eye Moody, Mm -hmm. he comes in as Bill Weasley, and then he gets to do the line where he comes in and says... Mad Eye's dead, and he's talking about his dad. I thought that was so. Yeah, so you almost cool. want him to say like, Matt, "Is Mad Eye a cousin to Mister Weasley?" <laughs> like, you guys all look, you're all redheaded, <laughs> <Right>. big weirdos. <laughs> oh, well, speaking of cousins of the Weasleys, I got a. That's a good segue here. In the book, at the, first we're having a wedding, right? It's um Bill and Fleur's Bill and wedding, Fleur. which we didn't know Amazing. they were in a relationship. Until the beginning, of but this again, movie. we get to see you. We get to see Fleur. We get to see Madame Maxine. We get to see all uh, these it's characters basically come back. The Mumford and Sons get married. <laughs> it's the scene that we watch. It's the tweeest hipsteriest. Oh, yeah, and you're like, yeah. cool, cool. The wizard right. hipsters. But most importantly, the burrow is not burned down anymore. There's no significant <laughs> damage after the previous. Well, movie. they fixed it all with magic, probably. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> but in the book, Harry is disguised as a cousin of the Weasleys because they're like, we don't know if we can trust anybody knowing that Harry's here. That was the whole point. Oh, that's right. But in the movie, yeah, he's true. just like, are you oh, Harry Potter? What's up, my man? I've always <laughs> wanted to meet you. I'm not a Death Eater, you know? Well, it's, it's like, like, it's... Okay. Yeah, it's almost like a magic celebrity wi- like wi- wedding where like everyone who's anybody in the magic world is at this wedding, right? And you've yeah. got... Um, Dumbledore's oldest friend who Harry's never met before, who he has a little talk with. The Love Goods, like how did the Love Goods know Bill and Fleur? But Oh, are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> Best yeah. friends. Come on. Go- Goblet of Fire, you know? They they yeah, met they met during the tournament. But yeah. yeah, and then we don't even get Charlie Weasley, the other Weasley brother who's not even in the movies yeah, at he's all. The, the dragon <laughs> right. trainer, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so like Bill and Charlie are in the the books as far back as Goblet of Fire. Um but we don't see Bill until this movie, and then we don't get Charlie at all. We barely get any Percy, and there's a whole thing in the books about Percy siding with the Ministry over Harry and the That's Weasleys. And it's like a big yeah, thing. Yeah, Percy was in like the first movie or second movie, and then he just kind of like never reappeared. Probably. Yeah. Very strange. He shows up they to want, the he wedding. He wanted too much money for his contract or something. <laughs> yeah, like, well, you're done. You're out. <laughs> you can't make these movies without Percy Weasley. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's a big... This. Actually, it's weird because in Order of the Phoenix, that's a big plot point in Order of the Phoenix books is that mm-hmm. he is choosing to side with Fudge and everything. And even in Goblet of Fire, he's all about Barty Crouch and stuff. So he's just going with whatever authority figure like he just kind of gloms onto. And he is, that actor is in Order of the Phoenix. He's in one scene where they try to catch Dumbledore in his office and Percy's there with the oars and and Fudge. 
but he doesn't have any lines. He's just it's this just the same actor back there. So very strange. Um, Interesting. Show, show up for one day. Yeah. Um, but before we get to kind of yeah, that we have a wedding and, and at which point it gets interrupted. Unfortunately, Kingsley says the ministry has been taken over and we get off to the races. But I we need to once again step back. Uh, obliviate scene. How heartbreaking, Laura. The, uh, Hermione, her parents. What do you th- think about this it's whole scenario? Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, it's it's Catelyn Stark, so that make you know that brings uh, up yeah, all that's sorts right. of uh, that's right. emotions. Another but, uh, uh, another Game of Thrones actor, which is yeah, a running get a theme. Red wedding in this. <laughs> there's about yeah. oh, twenty. Yeah. <laughs> if you look at all the bit players in this in Game of Thrones, there's probably about twenty cast members that are in both this and Game of I Thrones at it. some point. So that's always fun. But yeah, yeah, that's that's a heartbreaking but, scene. I just, you know, when she leaves and is just walking down the street alone, I just think, like, I understand you, you have to protect your family and you have to do everything you can, but I can't imagine doing that and knowing that my mom's out there and I can never talk to her again. She has no idea who I am. That's heartbreaking. It's very, yeah, very heartbreaking. Um, very dark to start out, but it's setting the tone of this movie. Like things are bad right now. People are dying. People are going missing. And so to protect her family, she's got to erase their memories, but it's very dark. Specifically muggle-born wizards and those parents are at high risk. And in the book, she just mentions to Harry that she had to do it. So again, credit to the film by showing us that, which Oftentimes, I think the movies fail, but this is another time where the movie did something in a stronger way than the book did with that yeah. showing us that scene. And it even shows her like erasing herself out of the pictures Back and stuff. Back to the future, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, <laughs> it's a journey. And then we get another dark scene, right, with the all the Death Eaters, you know, at the table at, at the Malfoy Mansion or wherever. And we get um, Charity Burbage, right, the Muggle Studies professor at Hogwarts who's you know, they have captured and we have Snape who we know is in deep cover with the Death Eaters, right? He just has to watch this, you know, former colleague of his for years die because he knows that he can't blow his cover at this point. So another mm-hmm. very dark, very depressing scene, right? It's a little uh, less ambiguous in the book with how they, because they make him more stoic, Alan Rickman. Like he literally has some lines like, ha ha ha, you're, you know, gross or filthy. Like he kind of is like, you know, putting it up. But Laura and Jacob, when you guys are reading this when you were kids, are you falling for the double cross? Are you at this point going like, I guess Snape was a bad guy all along? You know, I don't really remember what my first reaction was. I think when probably when Half-Blood Prince, when I first read it, I was kind of blown away by the twist. But I thought maybe there was some kind of explanation that was going to happen. I don't know. What about you, Laura? Yeah, I think it's 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 hard to remember, but I think it's difficult to to really know what side he's on still because he just seems to really go back and forth. And then after killing Dumbledore, you're like, oh, he really is bad. But it's he just it's so hard to to know where he stands. Um, And obviously it all it all ties up in the end. And it turns out he was one of the really good guys. Um, But it's definitely hard to know that to begin with. Well, he's essentially I would say yeah. he he's one of the somewhat good ish guys. You know, he's still well, he's just he's bad deep, shit in his life. He's deep cover with the Death himself. Eaters, right? So he's very Absolutely. undercover, and but he is like Dumbledore always okay. trusted him because he knew that is what his intentions were. So, but he kind of has to be ruthless and do whatever it takes to stay on Voldemort's good side for the greater good. So it's almost like this one lady has to die because he can't do anything to save her, but he can try to save all the Wizarding world. 
you know. Right. And and yeah, I think at this point it, it'd be easy for an audience to not know, right? Because we don't get any of these answers until the second half of the book or the second half of this, you know, double feature here. So I totally at the end of Order of the Phoenix, you know, he does the thing thing, and yeah, I, I could see him as being a total villain in the eyes of a lot of uh, viewers and readers right now. Yeah, it's a great cliffhanger. And it stays a cliffhanger over this movie. We don't get resolution until the next movie. So Mm -hmm. another, you know, interesting decision to split these into two movies, which overall I think was a good idea because it allows them, if they tried to fit everything from this book into one movie, it would have been so rushed, you know, it would have been hard, you know, it would have been not so good. So I do like that they split this into two movies. What do you guys think? It's very long. It's one of the longer books. Yeah. So I think you kind of have to, Colin. You got to look at the narrative thrust and say, what is the plot of this movie as a standalone itself? I'm with you, Jacob, where, again, it's not even that the book is so dense or so long or literally that it's like, well, this will give us the ability to put every scene in, but, you know, just like two pages of the chapters, but at least we'll get every one of them in. No, they they don't really go that angle. Like, they do make appropriate cuts and snips and change some things around to kind of make it flow better. Um, But it does not really have a plot plot. But I'm never going to look at them separately. That that is my main argument. You're never going to look at a two-part film and go, well, I don't know, you know, part one versus part two. You're going to look at it and you're going to like the whole thing or you're going to hate the whole thing. Right. Well, my first reactions when I first saw these back in 2008 or whenever in theaters was, I love this one. And then when the second one, part two came out, I was a little disappointed by it. And I actually like mm. part one better than part two. But this really is kind of the interlude before the main plot happens in the second one. That's yeah. where all the exposition I, that's, I think that's out. the reverse of a lot of how normies would feel, Jacob. I think a lot of people were, <laughs> I know, you know, I know, this is slow and quiet and thoughtful and kind of contemplative in a character piece. And that last one is lightsaber fight after lightsaber fight, where literally right. you're just like, fuck it, this is kind of what I'm here for. Totally. And that's why, you know, I think it's a bit of a hot take, but I like the slow meditative pace of this one. And it, Splitting them into two parts allows that this one to be able to breathe and not feel rushed. So I like that element of it. But you're totally right. It doesn't have like a traditional three-act structure, this movie. It's almost like if you put the two movies together, there's a three-act structure over the two parts. But this one is like the first half of a movie almost. No, exactly. And then this is all like build-up. Like we said, Order of the Phoenix is a build-up book. A lot of people criticize it, but I, I, I don't agree. But... This literally is just a build-up movie to the one with a million lightsaber fights because where totally. they split it at the book, the next remaining chapters, there's so many major set pieces between, you know, Gringotts and the Battle of Hogwarts, you know, to mention a few. Like, there's just so much action and major plot points that, yeah, you'd have to split it there. But it ends up not standing on its own merits totally. by itself, you know. No, I understand that. But also, I think... You can't really judge this movie by itself because no one's just going to watch this movie and then not watch the second part, right? Like but you released it 
eight months apart from the first right. one, so people had to do that. <laughs> right, but you I'm assuming that anyone who went to saw this in theaters was planning to go see the second part a year later. It is kind of weird that you had to wait, but now you can watch, you can binge watch them back to back, so it kind of works. All right, so then here's my question: um, Is it deceptive practices then that in the trailers they were showing scenes from part two? Mm. Oh, is that you know, true? That That's appear. wild, Mike. Yeah, they were they were showing scenes of the Battle of Hogwarts and stuff, and saying Deathly Hallows Part One, you know. But it's like uh, not I all this is going to really be really ripped off then. Probably, I, mm-hmm. I don't remember that, but I would have. If that happened today, I'd be mad. I'm mad. <laughs> yeah. But, well, but you're yeah. not. But you're going to go see Part mad. Two, obviously. So I understand. Right, but that's but that's the like thing. false advertising. Yeah. It's like, all right, we got him for six movies. Right. I bet if we give him. <laughs> This boring one first. They're going to pay the same amount of money, and then we'll get <laughs> well, them for the finale. <laughs> the thing is, like you know, to make a trailer that's exciting, like you probably had to use some stuff because there's just you not can't enough. Show things in this movie. Well, there's not enough. It's not exciting. It's just woods. Yeah, just tents. Yeah, Again, of, that's what one I, scene of running. That's what I like <laughs> about it, and um, all the different beautiful locations they go to. Like yeah. the cinematography is great. Like whoever location scouted this movie was great. Like they just found these beautiful Mm -hmm. woods and cliffs and rivers and everything. Like I didn't even know so many like nice places existed in England, but (laughs) um, (laughs) no, England's a great country. That's a really hot take. (laughs) Um, But then we do get a couple, I feel like a couple set pieces that bookend the long camping scenes. And that's the heist of the ministry of magic where they go undercover to get the locket from Umbridge which is a great mm-hmm. little um, segment on its own. We get the return of Umbridge. And then at the end, we get you know the Malfoy Manor with uh, Bellatrix Lestrange and everything. And so you do get some l- little action set pieces in this. Like every act, yeah. Yeah. Would you feel better? I always relate it to you know the dumb Avengers of it all, where people are like, well, the ultimate MacGuffin, the thing at the end, all the Horcruxes, all the Infinity Stones. It's not until Infinity War that you say half of those fucking stones. Totally. And you kind of still feel satisfied. Jacob, would you, well, I guess us, Laura and Mike, would you feel more satisfied, opposed to what Jacob's doing, if it wasn't just the locket in this movie? If you got maybe one more Horcrux in this bad boy, would it up the stakes a little bit? Um, Hmm. I don't know that the amount of Horcruxes really affected how I felt. Um, if it was still the pace that it was at, I would still be bored. Ah, okay. That's <laughs> I think fair, then. interesting to bring up, um, you know, the Avengers infinity war and Endgame Cause this is almost like the reverse because in infinity war, we do get a big battle. And then in Endgame it starts as a slower kind of depressing, you know, it's yeah, five years later right. yeah. and it's like, they're dealing with the aftermath of this big battle. Um, so it's almost like the inverse of that. Yeah, yeah that's a good yeah. point. Um, as far as Horcruxes more equals better, question mark. Um, <laughs> the real issue is it, in the Order of the Phoenix, the book, which they didn't do this in the movie, we learn a lot through the Tom Riddle flashbacks about what the other Horcruxes are. Right. And at this point, as a mute movie watcher, you don't know what any of the other ones are. You have no idea. But Harry in the books at least has an idea of kind of what they might be famous objects from the other houses of Hogwarts. So the fact that he literally has no information in the movie, when in the books he at least knows, like, okay, there's, like, you know, a Ravenclaw goblet, you know. Yeah, or, there's um, one thing Huffle from... Puffle like Puffle a tiara. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you yeah, get the whole... Kinda, idea. Mike, you nailed it, I think. It's kind As of annoying... As a result, annoying. the audience doesn't know. 
it's annoying to feel as clueless as your lead character. To see them struggle and for you to not be able to even have the cosmic awareness to say, don't you realize, you fool, this is what you're after, but instead you're both kind of in the woods together going, I don't know, just try something else, you idiot. Like, let's get this story going. That That is kind yeah. of the frustration to me. But again, I think that's the difference between if you go into this as a book reader or if you go in this, like, if you go into this movie knowing nothing about Harry Potter, never read the books or watched any of the other movies, you would be completely lost this entire movie. <laughs> yeah, but that's not really how it's... Seven part one. <laughs> right. That's not really <laughs> that's how it's meant my... to be watched. So the kind well, of the expectation is that most of the audience is going to have some knowledge of the books or the other movies. I think that's doing the audience a disservice then by assuming that they've done the legwork that you as a storyteller should have done. Totally. I, you know, uh, I agree with that. I was watching this with my partner and um, we get to the point after the Harry chase and then like, Oh, the wedding. And she's like, what wedding? No one's mentioned a wedding this entire movie and now it's happening. <laughs> sure. you know, well, it's right. Like, but even Harry yeah. doesn't know. Cause <laughs> Harry's like, Oh, I don't care who's getting married. Like I, this, you know, I, it doesn't matter. This is, we got other I stuff go. to do. <laughs> Yeah, but the wedding is like four chapters in the book. They're preparing for yeah. it and waiting, you know. But it's like, so I know all this stuff. Even stuff like um, how they get found by the Snatchers is frustrating because yeah. we learn that it's because Harry is not scared of him and he says Voldemort's the name. name. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah that's becomes, one thing I was confused That's why by. they find him in the um, the diner or wherever they are. Oh. When they leave, first leave the wedding, they say Voldemort and people come and find them, but... Yeah, they, they should have explained why. Like, how do they well, know they're just yeah. in that one random place? That's Is what it I was. The David mm-hmm. Yates of it all. Again, it seems like the ones he has had his hand in, he will make the choice to go. There's a lot of narrative fat. Let's trim some of that. And I right. don't care how important it is. <laughs> and well, yeah, he, he comes becomes vicious. Yeah, he comes at mm-hmm. it as a filmmaker, so he's trying to streamline it to make it a better movie. Not necessarily make it a more book accurate, but streamlining it to make it a, a f- better flowing movie. But I think that should have been explained better because I was totally lost. Like, why do these snatchers keep stumbling upon them in the woods and stuff? Like, how do they find them? That you know? diner scene's fucking awesome, though. That's a great scene. Yeah. yeah, like the battle is. But yeah, it's interesting because like it's a character plot point because Harry, like they realize, oh, it's because we said Voldemort. And there's a time later on, like in the movie, they just apparate and they're surrounded by snatchers. There's a time later in the movie where they're listening to the radio for clues and Harry says something like, oh, Voldemort's looking for the Elder Wand. And they're like, fuck, what did you do? And then the snatchers come and it's like, it's Harry's fault that they get caught. That makes a lot more sense. And get taken to Malfoy Manor. So it's yeah. like Harry makes a mistake and almost he puts his friends in danger and that's completely lost in the movie. But then again, in the... get a dancing scene. Yeah, in the movies... Well, we'll talk about the dancing scene, but in the, the movies... The <laughs> um, You know, oh, we'll people are saying Voldemort left and right. Like, they don't even care. Like, yeah. they kind of diminish the idea that, like, no, no wizards really say his name except for Harry. Right, but that became a plot point in the book. It yeah. should have carried through. At least once they took over the ministry, that's how they track you is if you're brave enough to say it. That makes you know? a lot of sense because I was confused. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the dancing scene because I think this is one scene that really, I was going to say it represents what I like about this movie because it's totally, you know, it's not in the books at all. They're listening. First of all, they're listening to a Nick Cave and the Bad Seed song. So already okay, they got so me suckered Jacob, in. <laughs> I got up to use Thank the restroom. 
left the TV on and started hearing music blaring and playing. And I was like, well, surely that's not my TV. Harry Potter is not just going to have a rock and roll song in the middle of <laughs> no, it. And, yeah, they've never used pop music like this, except, you know, the do the hippogriff from maybe the Goblet of Fire. Oh, God. But, um, and it's totally anachronistic because, you know, Harry Potter set in the 90s um, and this song came out in like 2004. But, uh, I, you know, I'm a big Nick Cave scene, uh, fan, so I'm already suckered in that way. But, I think it's a nice little scene where um, you get, you know, Harry and Hermione at the lowest point of the movie. Ron's just kind of left them. They're totally lost. They don't know what's happening. And they just have this moment of levity where they're dancing to this song. And it's just kind of like, you know, forget, they're trying to forget about how like shitty their lives are and like how they're so lost. And it's just this, I just, it's just a nice moment, I thought. But now let's hear Mike's take on it. Oh, well, I would, I would throw it to the guest first, Laura, before I get in here. What do you think about the dancing scene? Um, I thought it was a little uh, too romantic for what Hermione <laughs> and Harry are supposed to be. Uh, it felt like it was, I don't know, a little bit more tender I didn't, than just friendship. And, I didn't uh, think it was it romantic, kind of took though. took me out of the Harry, or it took me out of the Hermione and Ron situation and made me think like oh maybe her harry and hermione are supposed to actually be together so right well to me i didn't i didn't feel it was that romantic i just kind of felt like like harry and hermione they've always had this nice platonic friendship even without ron in the picture like even in half-blood prince there's a scene where there's a lot of relationship drama and then there's a scene with with hermione on the stairs where she's making those enchanted birds and Ron kind of, or uh, Harry comes and like cheers her up, and they have this nice platonic friendship. I think it's a continuation of that. Just because they're dancing together, I don't think it's necessarily romantic. Um, but it, it is kind of playing into you know Ron's jealous because he's seeing them as like they're close, but they're just close platonic friends. I feel like, and he's reading into that too much. But that's part of the whole drama of it. I just like that scene. That's fair. You're allowed to like that scene, Jacob. <laughs> I'm not going to take it Thank from you, you but. It's, it's another case where we're adding in scenes that were not in the book while simultaneously cutting out information that would have made the movie better. Um, totally. Point in case, R.A.B. and Creature, right? So we do this dancing scene, which is cute, I guess, right, to some people. But we're cutting <laughs> out the explanation of Creature and R.A.B. and how he got the locket. And that scene is crazy. Uh, Laura, do you remember this from the book at all? Yeah, somewhat. I mean, I remember the whole... I don't know even know if it's in this book, but they go over the whole like black family tree and um It's briefly mentioned in the movies, like I think in Order of the yeah. Phoenix, um, but it's really glanced over in the movies. Well if I could quickly explain how they get the locket, you know, we realized that it was a fake locket at the end of Order of the Phoenix. Um R A B creature is his house elf, he takes him to the cave after the fact. Right. Because Voldemort originally took Creature to the cave and made him drink the poison potion so he could put the locket down there and test it out to see how effective it was, essentially torturing Creature. Yeah. And then R.I.B. called him home so he's able to apparate because elf magic is more powerful. Mm -hmm. So he went through all the torture of drinking the potion just like Dumbledore. And then R.I.B. took him to the cave and R.I.B. drank the potion and gave the locket to Creature and sent him home. Right. And he died there. And R.I.B., we should say, so, is Regulus Black, Sirius's brother... Who and was he a was Slytherin and a Death, he was a death Eater, and he yeah. but he realized like he didn't want to be a Death Eater, so he steals the locket from Voldemort. Um, that's way yeah, it just goes way more in the books, and you kind of see creature it's so powerful, yeah, and creatures like the psychology of creature to be 
tortured by Voldemort, but still like faithful to the dark wizards because that's just how he was raised as a, as a house elf. House elf. And well, he's essentially more faithful to Regulus after that because he saved his life, right? So he's loyal to Regulus in the locket more than almost anything. And it's at that point that Harry learns that, that he starts to not treat the house elves like shit. Right. You know, like Harry has a character which, growth moment after learning the suffering that Creature went through. Which Hermione's he's, uh, been begging everyone to not treat them like slaves mm-hmm. for, for four books, but everyone just ignores her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like you lose that, like stuff like that, like that's probably one of the most powerful scenes in the book to me is just hearing the suffering that why creatures so cranky and shitty is maybe a result of being completely abused and nearly killed, right? Yeah. And you you don't have any of that. No, and and yeah, you don't have the whole history of Regulus and Sirius and all this stuff and which was supposed to be a big deal at the end of the last movie. Right. Like, Who is he? And it's like we're not even going <laughs> to Mentioned right, and it's more like they just kind of figure it out. It's like, oh, R-A-B, Regulus A. Black. Like, okay, fine. But Is it time to move the plot forward? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, here it is. Um, yeah, and you're right. Like, it's these, these, I just remember the flashbacks with Voldemort where he goes to the house of like the, like he's working as a procurer of magical objects, right? And he goes to the house mm-hmm. of the lady that has the Hufflepuff TR or whatever. And there's this whole, it's a really Hufflepuff see- cup. Okay, and yeah. it's a Ravenclaw, yeah. tiara. Ravenclaw right. diadem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Diadem, yeah. Diadem, right. Fancy so, word for tiara. So the seven <laughs> horcruxes are, we find out, you know, eventually, it's the diary, the ring that Dumbledore had, the locket, four different objects from each of the houses, and then Nagini is one of them. Mm-hmm. Right? Nagini. And then Nagini. Well, Harry's <laughs> and one. Harry, a woman Harry disguised Potter. as a snake. <laughs> um, Who was then disguised as a woman again. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Animals. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we like this. We tie scene. everything right. in together. That's right. Right. But at least they do kind of Our explain that um, the sword. So the sword of Gryffindor is not a Horcrux, but there's another Gryffindor object that is a Horcrux. I forget what that is. I don't think it. I don't think he was ever able to get a Gryffindor object. Oh, okay. So he's trying to get one from each house, but he never got a Gryffindor thing. Right, um, too pure. He was didn't get the job. But do you like how they explain that the sword can destroy Horcruxes because it's impregnated with basilisk venom from Chamber Jacob, of Secrets? Jacob, it only takes in that which makes it stronger. I said <laughs> a geniusly written line <laughs> by yeah. the greatest writer of all time. <laughs> well, again, this is I mean, another from movie, by the way, where Hermione's basically doing everything for Harry and Ron, and they're like, "Oh, uh, Hermione, Hermione, you're so much you better magic than us. bag, please." <laughs> yeah, it's like, do Harry and Ron know any? Like, did they pay attention at all in school, or were no. they just like the uh, the opening line for Harry Potter in this book? He's he's reading over the magical newspaper and kind of going over the autobiography that Rita Skeeter has put out about Dumbledore, and mm-hmm. uh, he like hurts something or cuts himself or like breaks something, and he literally thinks in his mind, "Oh, I need to ask Hermione a spell on how to fix things. I, I really <laughs> need to like write this down and ask right. her a question." Didn't you like, know that from like useless. second year That's of school? That's the plight of being a woman surrounded by men. You gotta That's do right. everything. That is right. right, and Hermione just knows magic so much better than those other two. And like, she's got everything prepared. She's doing protection spells when they go in the you know go camping. Um, she's got the bag of holding. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you know that's fine. Um, I told you, Harry Potter is my least favorite thing about the Harry Potter series because he Boo. doesn't solve any of his own problems. Right. It's always 
someone else, <laughs> one of his friends, or getting lucky about having well, the same so core as Voldemort. But that's a, and Mike, a big... Th- oh, yeah, good. Well, in this one, yeah, it's kind of a thread we'll see in the next one as well, but he starts in this one, he literally says to Ron, you must destroy the Horcrux, and Ron's like, I can't, I'm scared, you know, and he's like, you need to, and it's this affirmation of, you need to overcome this because it affected you the most, but kind of, you can also subtly read it as like, Harry, you piece of shit, like, you fucking do it. (laughs) All this talk about you being the chosen one for fucking ten years now, I don't want to hear this bullshit. Well, right, but I think yeah, this is... anything he succeeded with was basically luck. But <laughs> no, this is a theme that carries over through the books, is that Harry is the chosen one, but to get anything done, he does rely on the help of his friends to. and his family. So that's like a big family. You know, your friends being your the family that you choose, that's like a huge theme throughout the book because Harry's an orphan. He never had a family, so he makes his own family, and he relies on them for help. So I like it from and that angle. Voldemort was an orphan who didn't have right. a family and uh, killed beautiful. his blood family because he only cared about power. Yeah, and the difference no between Voldemort and Not Harry love. Is, is love, right? Because Voldemort never understood love, and Harry does, and that's why he relies on his loved ones. So I do kind of like that from a thematic point of view, but it does kind of make Harry sort of a useless character for a chosen one. Um, <laughs> He's like the Mr. Magoo of the wizard. Yeah. <laughs> he just fa- falls into success. Harry, your exactly. eyesight is atrocious. <laughs> uh, all right. I say on that note, then, let's go ahead and hit the wrap up here and talk our final thoughts on Deathly Hollows Part 1 here on Normies Like Us, Harry Potter Universe. Ooh. And Gorgio. Yeah, Dobby, the Dobby death scene is, I, I don't know that they really do it justice. Really? Um, it's, a, it's a sad scene, and Harry's sad, but I don't know. I feel like in the book it packs a lot more punch. Um, and maybe it's just because I haven't watched the other movies in a while, and I haven't kind of followed along with that, so it's it's kind of out of nowhere for me, but... But Dobby's such you an important character. You don't get a lot of other Dobby in the movies. Is he one of your yeah, favorites in yeah, the book? Yeah, that's true. That's true. You don't see him as much in the movies. And he's no. so important to Harry, and he he sacrifices so much, and he just loves him so much. Um, yeah. To, to have And to that see the contrast between Creature and Dobby. Mm-hmm. And we don't get Winky the house elf, who's a character. Yes. We don't get like his little girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought it was a good send off for the movie Dobby because we don't see him that much, but then he does get a couple nice lines where he's like, Dobby is a free elf. And uh, I, I thought that was nice. And I just got a little emotional when, when honestly, yeah. because he comes in and saves him. And it's interesting that house elves are like, so have like more powerful magic than wizards, but they're yet they're still kind of like enslaved by wizards. It's like, if you just take things into your own hands, like you're more powerful than wizards. Wow. Yeah, this is a plot point that's explored in the book is like there's all these protections around Malfoy Manor and they cannot apparate in or out. But a house elf is able to, just like the cave with Voldemort's locket, Creature can apparate out of it. That's the reason R.A.B. sacrificed himself so Creature could right. take the locket out because they have more powerful magic. Again, you're just like, why don't they apparate out of Malfoy's house? They don't explain that there's protections or that the elves are stronger in any way. So it's like, yeah. if you're just watching it as a general audience, there's so many plot holes that shouldn't be there. But... Um, It is sad, and I love the way they shoot Dobby's ending. It's all handheld. I think David Yates has no style, but this scene, 
You done? You did <laughs> oh, good, sir. That's interesting, Mike. We never gave the shout out. It's actor Toby Jones doing the voice, not really mocap because at this time it's still kind of the ping pong ball. You know that they yeah. sort of just wave in front of it's you. Unfortunately, not, um, you know, it's he not as advanced as Gollum in Lord of the Rings. No, like, that not was even really close. It is not point. a mocap performance. Right. But when he's up on the chandelier, Jacob, and he drops it down, and you know he gets the big reaction from Helena yeah. Bonham Carter, I'm like clapping. You know, I, I was great. like mad about the last time we saw Dobby. Now he's popping up, and I'm like, Dobby's my best friend. He's great, and he comes in, and then Luna says, like, calls him sir. And okay. Like, oh, I like. So her. hold on. That is in my <laughs> notes for the final wrap-up here. As we are kind of talking and winding down on our thoughts on Harry Potter, Deathly Hallows Part 1. Um, Luna, Laura, I know you love her. Guess what? I do, too. Because okay. this movie, she's not even in it. And the second that she is, I'm like, Harry, you idiot. Ginny is a loser. Oh, <laughs> like, my gosh. I thought this for four movies. I don't even want to hear it. Luna comes in, Jacob, and she's looking so good in that jumper. She's nice to Dobby and polite, and then she just like does cool stuff and leaves. And you just I've, want to be like, Harry, you idiot. Yeah. No, I totally Ginny's agree. Ginny's just a little whiner. Ginny, she has, in the movie, she has like no personality, too. Like She has more of a personality no. in the books. But I've said this for so, the uh, last- I don't even want to hear it. The last four <laughs> movies, I've said this since the introduction of Luna- in the movies, Luna and Harry have more chemi- chemistry yes. than Harry and Ginny, easily. So, yeah, okay, I'm so on the Harry Here is Luna the novella train. I'm going to write and I'm going to get famous for. It's going to be called Harry Potter and the Special Evening. It's going to be about a date he goes on in his 50s. The the dumb play, uh, you know, Sacred Child or Cursed Child, whatever that's called, is going to be <laughs> canon. But he breaks up with Ginny. And now he realizes, as a divorced dad, it's a rom-com. He needs to get with Luna, the lady who but got away. in the movies, Magic at least, they, it's Neville and Luna end up together, which is a movie-only thing. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> but even J.K. Yeah, Rowling said after the movie, she's like, I wish I did that in the books and have you know Neville and Luna get together. We'll see that in the next one. Speaking of Neville... Neville watch, we do get one brief little Neville moment, wow. right? When they go we'll on, the on the train. train. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> yeah. he's not here, loses. Yeah, they sent the the second unit out, you know, they sent the B camera operators. <laughs> and they yeah, said, yeah. David Yates go. is not on that set, Mike, let me tell you. No, no, no. But it is weird yeah. how much Luna is in all these movies compared to Ginny. Again, uh, Order of the Phoenix. Scene, that Harry and Ginny kiss scene. Oh, so weird. The when, most the awkward When she thing. kneels down to like tie a shoe or whatever. That, I still can't So weird. <laughs> Remember, that's a muggle mating ritual that her dad <laughs> read right. about. The tying <laughs> of the shoelace. Right. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's hit him though. Let's hit final thoughts. Laura, again, thank you so much for being a guest on this. Since you're not going to be packed to talk anything more Harry Potter, just final thoughts on you for the franchise, for anything from the books, anything you love about it that you just wanted to point out kind of as we're winding down here. Well, I just, I just have always loved Harry Potter. Um, I've always obviously loved the books. I guess not obviously, but I love the books more than the movies. Um, I feel like the fact that the, the movies are all a little bit different, kind of, they don't flow as well as the books do because they're directed by different people and, and that sort of thing. Um, and they just have a, a really nostalgic place in my heart. So, you know, no matter what strange things that J.K. Rowling tweets about, Thank you. I am always going to love Harry Potter. Um, I'm always going to feel like that, you know, I was part of that world for a little bit and, and feel really good about that. Yeah, it's really the nostalgia factor, I think, that, you know, it's hard to like not like Harry Potter because of that. Um, I wanted to ask you with the movies. So 
what was your favorite or what's your favorite era of the movies? Like, do you like the first two, which is like the Chris Columbus movies, or do you like the middle period with Alfonso Cuaron and the, and Mike Newell, or do you like the later David Yates years the best? I like the first ones, um, first ones because I feel like they follow the books very closely. True. I'm someone who like, I generally think the books in any kind of franchise, the book is always better than the movie. So I think the closer you follow the book, the better it's going to be, in my opinion. Totally. Yeah, I think that's that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, yeah, and uh, what's your thoughts on this movie, your, rap, your final thoughts of Deathly Hollows Part 1? Just, yeah, not my favorite. A little bit uh, slow and snoozy. Um, I understand that Are you gonna watch the to sequel? explained, but I probably will. Yeah, I guess I should just because I can't eat. I can't leave it on that note. So I probably should. <laughs> you should just go back and rewatch them all now. Now that you started. I, I guess so. Yeah. The seventh out of eight of them. You should go back. <laughs> the proper watch order. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll jump in with my last thoughts here. Um, I have one last question. Occlumency, right? They They were training Harry. <laughs> To keep Voldemort out of his head. Then they stop right. doing that. And then the plot of the next two books is just him seeing what Voldemort's doing all the time. Why is it only up. working in one direction? Well, I think, Why doesn't Voldemort see what Harry sees? I think he can see. Like, that's part of... Um, well, he would know half- they were in the woods a lot sooner. Yeah, but he, he doesn't know like exactly where they are, I think. But... Um, like, that's part of the plot of one of the earlier ones, right? That they're... Like, Voldemort was tricking him by... By making him think that you know Arthur Weasley Voldemort was getting attacked, stops tricking him and just lets him see that he's going to see Grindelwald and going to see. Right. He just well, lets and him. Mike, look to your his point, plans. his teachers kind of in a bad teaching moment are like, "Harry's not getting this. Like, we don't need to bother teaching him this anymore. He's not well, good at it." Yeah, the thing is, they yeah. make they have Snape train him, and like you know, Snape and Harry hate each other, and then Harry accidentally sees some of Snape's memories, and he is, purposefully sees Snape's memories. All oh, right, yeah, but he invades. <laughs> Snape's personal space on yeah, purpose. And then Snape's like, like a right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Harry as a student kind of was like a little shithead. Like he wasn't a good student at all. <laughs> yeah, but but all I'm saying is that yeah, they made a big point that like we need to make sure Voldemort can't you know have a two way phone into your head and his. And then that's they right. just stopped teaching him, and then they just kept it open. Um, and that's how we're able to learn that he's going for the Elder Wand. But like, right. how does Voldemort not know you just destroyed a Horcrux if he can see into your head? That's it. That's I'm a good sorry. question. I think Voldemort does feel something because they kind of touch on it in the beginning where he's like, do you think Voldemort feels anything like when we destroy these? And I think he does. Yeah. You know, like he's losing And we get a- that later probably in the next one. But Yeah, every time they destroy um, one, he's losing a part of his soul. Right. Yeah, yeah. But uh, overall, yeah, a little bit slow. I do like the major action points throughout of Deathly Hollows. You know, the especially the Ministry of Magic. That's probably my favorite scene in this it's also a great scene to read. It's just one of my favorite scenes in the series, whether on page or screen. So good job with the ministry. Yeah, it's a nice Rupert Grint kills that comedy, Mike. It's very funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it's comedy, but yeah, it's, it's also kind of dark because it's like, you know, his the wife of the guy that he turns into <laughs> is like... What are you doing here? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's a great scene. Um, just a little heist scene in the middle of the movie. You got to love it. Yeah, not again, not my favorite, probably my least favorite so far, but there's something about these that are they're just the perfect Sunday afternoon wrap up in a blanket. Even this one, you could throw it on and just kind of chill, and I wouldn't be mad about it. No, I love that idea. Jacob, you love these, so I'll let you go last and sum it up. Uh, my final thoughts here. Audio book, 
book versions. I don't know. This is kind of my first foray into audiobooks. I listened to like one Stephen King one back in the day, but that was kind of it. Do you guys like when a male narrator does female voices? Hearing Stephen Fry do Hermione is quite the trip. No, I hate it. Oh, Harry, oh, we have to run now. I'm like, wow, you're just like really not going for it slash really kind of being offensive. So that's interesting. Yeah, when I listened, I listened to some of the Game of Thrones audiobooks, and when the guy that reads those does the, the like the, the um, Daenerys voice, it's like... It's insane. <laughs> it takes, James it takes Dale, you out of the story. Yeah. A hundred percent. When he does the American ones, does he also kind of do a Mrs. Doubtfire, I'll call it? <laughs> yeah, kind of like a higher pitched, but um, uh, it's it's a little strange, yeah. But they, it's Mike, the only way they can do radio it version. a full cast of the audience. Yeah, my pirate radio version, though, is sidecar, sidecar Stories with Sam. He's like a voice actor, I guess, in his ah. waking life. So his female characters are just old falsetto. <laughs> like, <laughs> that they have like their I own do. personality. Know, and Tim, yeah, yeah. Like, his are pretty good, actually. Yeah. I love it. I'm definitely going to keep going. Here's my thing. I'm going to finish this series. I am super thrilled to hear and sort of read the rest. And I already told you guys, I put the next movie on the second this one finished because I was like, I'm super down for Harry Potter. Then, because I rewatched this one because we moved our record by a week, I fucking am excited to rewatch the second one again. And those HBO motherfuckers just took the dumb Fantastic Beasts off. And I was so excited to watch those, but now I can't. I'm super mad. Well, why would you so, want to do any lore? Because I'm, I'm in this world, baby. Right. I'm fucking living it. I'm fucking loving the Harry Potter stuff. And I'm, well, I'm Norbis, very happy we did this. If you want to hear us do the two Fantastic Beasts and suffer no. through those movies, write Don't in and dare. let us know. Films that have even weirder moments than the weirdest moment in this movie when Ron breaks a locket and then sees two naked versions of his best friends <laughs> making out. As he's being attacked by spiders. Yeah. <laughs> but it's great. Yeah, it's the nakedness just fears. pissed him off. They, the spiders he was scared of, they should have just kept the spiders going. <laughs> right. Well, it's preying on his fears and his and insecurities and his insecurity over seeing his best, his, his best friend and his, his the love of his life, you know, getting closer yeah. um mm-hmm. but that's what i love about the locket like it's you know it's picking at those insecurities and those tensions between the characters and it, it just amplifies them so i think that's a cool little kind of plot device um so i guess yeah if we're going into what i think you know it might mm-hmm. be a little hot take but i think this is my second favorite movie after prisoner of azkaban and i'll stick by that because i like the slower pace i like that it's kind of like this weird indie movie inside of this like giant you know, tentpole blockbuster series. Um, and it's a little, yeah, it's just, I like how strange it is. Um, it breaks the formula. They're not in Hogwarts at all. They're just traveling around different locations. Um, and yeah, I just like that. I mean, there are some things that could have been done better again with every movie from three on, like they cut stuff out that I, I wish was in there. Um, and yeah, it's just some things that just aren't explained well. So I think those are my main complaints about the movie. Uh, one thing I did want to mention, this is a little fun fact. Um, when they're in Malfoy Manor, you know, you have Ollivander played by John Hurt, uh, RIP. And then you also have Griphook the Goblin, right? Griphook mm-hmm. the Goblin, who in this movie he's played by Warwick Davis. 
a famous uh, little person actor who also plays Star uh, Wars. He's also in Star Wars, and he also plays Professor Flitwick throughout the the so movies. Like, he, like maybe four parts, Jacob, over yeah. the series, kind of. But yeah. a little fun fact for you: um, Grip Hook, the character, is in Sorcerer's Stone movie, played by a different actor. Can you guess mm-hmm. who played him in the in the first movie? Oh, uh, blow this, your is, mind. this is the one that takes them through Gringotts, right? When they yes, first... in the original. Yeah. Yes, I'll tell so you right have now. To be another little person. Yes, <laughs> yeah. please. He was in in Sorcerer's Stone. This character is played by Vern Troyer. Vern oh Troyer. my god, that's wow. great! So, <laughs> little little I fun maybe fact get for Game you. of Thrones, but yeah, Mike. <laughs> yeah, Myers that's what I was thinking. Peter better. Dinklage. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but Warwick Davis, early career, wow, yeah. Um, but he does a great job as Flitwick as well. So it's always nice to see him. Mm-hmm. So again, I like the aspect of all these different cameos from different, you know, bit players throughout the series come back in this one, and I really like that angle of it. Um, and I love the little animation too, the little uh, story of the Deathly so Hollows. I thought that mm-hmm. was really cool. The narration is good. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just a very weird movie. It doesn't fit the formula, and I like that about it. And I can understand why people might not like certain aspects of it, but for me, I like it. All right, all right. You're also a Last Jedi fan, so that <laughs> should be clear. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. Oh, and if, um, Laura, Woman. you love the character of Babu Frick, don't you? You don't. You're I not a big Bobby Star Wars Frick. fan, but you love oh Bobby Frick. Oh my God, Frick. he's so cute. <laughs> Did you know? And I'll tell you this right now, Laura. The actress that plays Moaning Myrtle. In the in Harry Potter is the voice actor for Babu Frick, same person. Well, that kind of ruins oh, it for me, Mary's to be honest with you. <laughs> that ruins it for you? Oh, no, a little bit. You don't yeah. Like Myrtle? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Why would you do that, Jacob? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, no, thanks just, for listening. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just think of Babu Frick as Babu Frick. I don't think of him as being like voiced by someone. Like he just exists. <laughs> right. Well, aliens. <laughs> That's don't if, exist. if you told me somebody voiced baby. Baby Yoda, I would get so angry. Like, no, <laughs> yeah, he's like, just Baby Yoda. Where yeah. is he? That is that is an interesting fact. Yeah, I, it, I don't know if it was fun, but it was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's your Babu fact of the day. That's right. Um, but yeah, um, we're almost there, guys. We're almost at the almost end of the there. tunnel. One more. Yeah, and I we'll have Joe back. That, uh, We've been missing him. Uh, our yeah. missing host will be returning. He was out on a very important mission for the ministry, but he will be returning to wrap it up for <laughs> us. For and Horcrux. we super appreciate you being on, Laura. Uh, just dropping straight knowledge. We love that this has been a familial franchise. It's kind of the one that was the easiest for us to get guests because people were like, who doesn't fucking love Harry Potter? But it's been right. super awesome having siblings and stuff on to be like, oh, we loved Harry Potter together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was really yeah, excited was good to have when, you on. when Jake asked me. Yeah, it's just, you know, I should have had you on Chamber of Secrets. Like, after we recorded that, I was like, oh, I should have had Laura on for that one. Um, so I should have known that you wouldn't like this one as much, but that's okay. <laughs> um, and we'll have to have you on in a future episode when there's something yeah. that uh, we're doing a subject that interests you. I really appreciate you having me on. Of course. Yeah, anytime. yeah, you've been great. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, also, next week, teaser, listeners. We're going to be, for those of us who have done them, revealing our Pottermore uh, houses, our Patronuses, right. our wands, That's what right. our wands were made of. I logged on <laughs> we have that info. after years. I my password. Yeah, years ago. I just had to do Alohomora, type it in, and 
Right. Yeah, I changed wow. my password and I logged on. It's no longer Pottermore, which is weird. It's just called like wizardingworld.com. Wizarding World. But it mm-hmm. saved my my answers from years and years ago. Probably you know, eight, nine years, whatever it was. So, well, from when I was 11 years old and I got my letter. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah, yeah. When I got, so we'll be sorting that and more. That's yeah, right. with the, yeah. We'll be sorting through our thoughts so, of the franchise as a whole after we wrap up. It'll be the big finale next week. It'll be a party. We'll finally be done with the wizarding world. Unless we do fantastic beasts, normies. <laughs> oh, yeah. Guys, he's threatening us. Normies. <laughs> Jacob has a loaded <laughs> wand pointed at the screen. So let's get out of here That's before right. he you fires. love Newt's commander. Don't you? <laughs> oh, I've been obliviated. <laughs> uh, we didn't drag her too much, but you know, JK, you suck. Uh, we love this franchise. <laughs> All the stuff that we've posted for the other trans organizations that we support and stuff go back and please listen to the other episodes for those again we're out of the holiday season but if you find it in your heart to donate please donate uh and mm-hmm. as always we've been your hosts i'm gonna say uh because grindelwald is in this one i'm gonna be calling walt <laughs> uh, uh, mike dungus fletcher and this is uh zeno jacobis wait zeno jacobis lovegood <laughs> <laughs> it works well now right. i feel like i can't be laura lovegood because i can't be your daughter well <laughs> gross. <we're> related <laughs> gross <laughs> all right bye bye normies bye Oh, hell yeah. This is Aquaman, and if you enjoyed that episode, I'd really appreciate it if you give it a like, share, and subscribe on iTunes, and you'd really be one of my man if you share with a friend. We'll be seeing you around.